0: Hello there. At last, we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last, we will have revenge. Hello there. Welcome to a podcast about Star Wars Shatterpoint and the Star Wars universe. My name is Jesse Akin, and I'm joined by my co-host, Amon Kusro. How are you doing today, Amon? Twice the pride, double the fall. That's right. We are distinguished gentlemen today. I feel like we're always distinguished gentlemen. That's the goal. Always, for sure. That's how I try to live. But Count Dooku lives it every day. He wakes up. Unfortunately, he kind of loses the distinguished gentleman way somewhere in the middle of the Clone Wars, and we'll get into that today. But he's still got the style. Oh, man has got the swag. That's right. Yeah, man. We did Obi-Wan. That was very exciting. That was a big episode. And today this is no different. It's another big episode. It's another box episode. And after this, we'll be done with the core and our wave one releases, which we think if you can get a handle on the core and these first wave one boxes, you can really start kind of understand the basis of the game that's going to be built off of, because not only of course, are these the first models in the game. So of course they're going to be built off of this, but Amon and I have some strong opinions that we think Obi-Wan and Dooku in particular, and some of their box mates probably here to stay for a while.
1: Indeed. Definitely here to stay. I think personally, they're both fantastic primaries and they come with some awesome squads. I think Django and the Magna Guards are great too. Definitely here to stay. And this is an excellent box. And honestly, Jesse, to answer your question earlier, I'm quite excited. quite excited to talk about obviously a boy Django. That's right. Django. And then of course, dark side users here
0: let's not bury the lead too much i think you and i really love Django in the lore and in the game but yeah this is also a Django episode because that guy is one of the best secondaries in the game as of right now and i think that's very safe to say i don't think that's like a hot take or anything like that he's just strong consistent and he can fit in any squad you really want him to fit in that boy is a menace that's right yeah just a simple man there it is there it is. Quite excited for today's episode. So, before we get into all that, I'm on. Of course, we have a little business to attend to. And you mentioned last episode, we are starting a very cool new thing. So, if you missed last episode, somehow check it out. But we're also going to cover it today we are doing a Star Wars Shatterpoint Corset box giveaway, and anyone can enter to win. So, all you have to do is click on the link below in our show notes. It's also on our social media pages. And follow us on one of our social media pages of your choice. Ideally, Twitter and Facebook, but we also have an Instagram, and it's all at hello there cast. So the fun part of this contest is all you have to do is click on the link and then follow one of our social media pages. But each follow of one of our social media pages will add additional entries to after you've clicked the link. Additionally, all patrons will get a bonus entry innately, depending on their patron level. But most importantly, the more people that click on this link that's in our show notes, and the people that follow our pages, the higher potential of AMG providing us with potentially more giveaway items in the future for you guys.
1: Yeah, super excited to do the giveaway. And obviously, we love getting free stuff. (laughs) Who doesn't? But I think it's important for us because from a content perspective, it enables us to give us a bit more time to prepare for content, maybe even perhaps expand into other mediums like YouTube and other things like that. So we would really greatly appreciate the support, and all you have to do is click on that link. It is a bit link, so it'll say https bit.ly forward slash swp dash hello there. So please click on that. It really helps us out
0: and allows us to get more stuff so we can share it with you and keep having fun. Absolutely. And in the coming month, we're going to randomly draw a name from a hat of someone that follows one of our social media pages. It also I'd click that link and then we will reach out to you, get you that core set in your hands. And most importantly, I'm on the part we're excited about with this giveaway. Probably a lot of you already have a corset, and we're hoping this in the very least is a way just to, if you already have a corset, you win it, gift it to someone in your local area, help build up your local community and get more Shatterpoint action going on around you.
1: 100%. That's the goal for sure. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you either are currently playing Shatterpoint or are interested and maybe you haven't taken that leap of faith yet, who knows? Maybe you can win the core box, and that's your call to action. That's your sign to play the game. That's the force speaking to you. That's right. But again, Jesse's absolutely correct. You can give that to a local. You can maybe donate it to your store. They can play.
0: Just give people resources to have fun. Absolutely. And of course, clicking that link and following our social media pages also helps the game grow in other ways. You know, It's a win-win for everybody, so we really hope this works out and uh, yeah increase your chances by following more of our pages at hello there cast on your social media of choice and uh, we'll pick a winner in the future and speaking of supporting the community wanted to give a big shout out to
1: mr laser hello there is supported by mr laser at mr dash site
0: your resource for everything star wars Shadowpoint. yeah mr laser's got all the pre-orders up for the coming months so definitely check it out and of course we cannot do the show without our patrons at patreon.com slash low their cast. So all of our patrons choose to support us there. If you enjoyed the show and you would like to join our private discord community, check out the Patreon. We take this time to thank all of our patrons for their support and I'm on. We've added another feature to the patron discord, something we've been working on behind the scenes. That's just now started. We are launching a patron TTS discord fun league And we're doing like the preseason first and then we'll kind of do season one and we'll just keep growing from there. But if you're interested in playing with other listeners of the show, learning the game, but also kind of getting some fun, semi-competitive games in, people like me and Amon, who will definitely play in the league and others, join the Patreon, get immediate access to the Discord if you sync up your Patreon profile with your Discord and check the TTS tab. The Longshanks is in there and it's a private link for patrons.
1: Absolutely. Come hang out, play some games, have some fun, play games with us. You know, in addition to playing games, we can chit chat too, get to know each other. That's always exciting and honestly have some fun. In addition, it also enables you to kind of get a leg up on your local competition. So if you're interested in playing at a higher level locally, or maybe even traveled a couple of events, maybe this is your first foray into miniature wargaming well i'll tell you some advice i was told a long time ago which is true is the more games you play the better you get
0: so come hang out with us and play a ton of games it's pretty simple right and what's also fun about these cts leagues, because i've been doing them for furious finest for a while is you know we love our local in-person games but getting to p- play people across north america and the world every so often because you've got games scheduled coming up. It's so exciting. And it's also like keeps you in the loop when you don't have time to go to the game store. I was just telling this to Amon off mic before we started the episode, how much I love TTS leagues because say I don't get to the game store for two or three weeks, dad life, right? But I can get a one or two TTS games in for the leagues that I'm in to fill the time, right? Until that two or three weeks of when I can get some in-person games. And we really hope the TTS league is going to be that if anything, because at its best, TTS is a tool to bring people together. To play games that would not otherwise get to. 100%. I've been clamoring for
1: games locally and life and work and stuff happens. And so it's really easy to
0: be able to play from home, I guess, you know? Yeah. Because of course, too, we're going to have the League. But on top of the League, we're just going to have pickup games. You can get the TTS channel. And people have already started to do that a little bit.
1: For sure. But speaking of patrons, wanted to give a quick shout out to our new patron, Sam, at the Padawan and Acolyte level. Sam told you we'd give you a special shout out, so here it is. And then, of course, we have to thank our producer-level patrons. We have Kevin, Rusty, and Rich. Unfortunately, there is a bit of discord in the Force at the moment, and so (laughs) two of them are light side users, but we will bring balance to the Force at some point, I'm sure. But right now, Rusty and Rich are following the path of the Jedi, while Emperor Kevin is staying strong to the dark side.
0: Yep, one day the Force will be, you know, double dark side. But for now, the light side is winning, and I'm all about it. And as I
1: said on the previous episode, it takes two light side users to stack up to one dark side user. So if anything, you got it
0: lucky right now, Jesse, because it's they're coming for you. It's true. It's true. All right, man, let's get into today's main topic, which of course is our twice the pride, double the fall box discussion, starting with Count Dooku. Separatist leader. And yes, this is the version of Dooku we have. I love that AMG always gives us these direct, full names. I think they really do matter. That's why we put them in our show titles, right? Because it, it's an indicator that AMG in the future is probably going to do different versions of these characters that are different times and snapshots in their life. Ahsoka Tano Jedi No war, is a very different Ahsoka Tano than Padawan Ahsoka Tano.
1: Well said, and I completely agree. I do like how they specifically, if you will, timestamp The character. So you know exactly who this character is, what their motivations are, and their power level, right? Like we have that new Kenobi coming out in the future, who has been confirmed as a secondary through AMG's official channels. And at that point in time, that wasn't a very strong Obi-Wan, right? So kind of makes sense. Now, before we get into the Dooku lore segment, I do want to give a general spoiler warning that we may be covering topics and events that have occurred in the clone wars, the prequel trilogy and tales of the jedi. So if you have not seen those or if you'd like to be spoiler free, maybe skip the next 10 to 15 minutes and then jump back in when we start talking about the character himself. But
0: now Jesse, take it away with the lore. Dooku is a tough one. He's a very exciting one. So Count Dooku was a force sensitive Serenian human male. Interesting that he was also the Count of Sereno. We'll get to that later. Eventually, he was a Jedi. He was, and then became a Jedi Master, but then fell to the dark side and became a Dark Lord of the Sith, Darth Tyrannus, which, what an incredible name, you know? What an incredible Sith name. But most importantly, this version of Duke we're covering today, he is the head of state and the leader, the president, the king of the Confederacy of Independent Systems during the Clone War, the Separatist Alliance. And he was the second apprentice of Darth Sidious after Darth Maul. Dooku is a very interesting character, and we're going to jump right into some of his history. So similar to last episode with Obi-Wan, Dooku was taken by the Jedi Order at a young age. What's interesting about Dooku's story, that's different from Obi-Wan's, Amon, because we actually know a lot more about Dooku than Obi-Wan's, Childhood origins. Duku was actually abandoned by his father. His father was a bad person, and the Jedi picked him up, and Yoda be- he became Yoda's apprentice and Padawan learner. The legendary Grand Master of the Jedi Order, of course. What's interesting is Duku was from this royal family of this planet Sereno, had a lot of money, and they had a large place in the Republic Senate and galaxy as a whole. What's funny is. He was abandoned by his family, became a Jedi. Eventually, he comes back, or he's kind of in this gray area. <laughs> he's kind of abandoning the Jedi thing. We're jumping ahead a little bit, but it's like he does come back to Sereno, overthrows his corrupt brother and his corrupt father, and takes back over and becomes the full on count again, right? This is when he becomes dark side adjacent and the leader of the Separatist Alliance. But before all that happened, he did some pretty cool stuff. So, Dooku was. A Jedi Master, as I mentioned, and he took on two apprentices over time. Qui Gon was actually the second apprentice he took. But what's interesting is similar to our lore discussion last episode with Obi Wan, Qui Gon in particular, who seems like the person to focus on when the Dooku lore was also unsure of himself as a Padawan and had a very good heart. And Dooku kind of lasered in on that and chose him as his Padawan learner because he basically told Qui Gon, because you're unsure, you're going to do right means you're going to be a great Jedi. Because you're unsure of your path in this galaxy and doing the best you can do and all this stuff means that I want you as my apprentice. Zoom forward in time, Amon, and maybe this is where you can jump in a little bit as we will cover some Tales content. Not everything goes right with the Jedi with Dooku. In particular, Dooku sees a lot of the corruption of the Republic that has made its way into the Jedi. And also some of the things the Jedi do to remain intentionally complacent though they see some of the corruption, and he's not about it. This is when he's a Jedi, right? It's really interesting because he certainly is not
1: about it. I think Qui-Gon kind of inherits viewpoints in that Dooku was so tired, a corrupt society, a corrupt system, because as you mentioned earlier, Jesse, his dad was corrupt, his family was corrupt, he grew around that corruption, he hated it, mm. he never benefited from it. And so this whole idea is that it needs to be stamped out you know, there needs to be a galaxy that actually provides for the lower class citizens in terms of finances while also making sure the wealthy do their part. And I think that fundamentally changes him over time, as you said. And that situation that occurs with the Jedi Council is so interesting because he sees the fall of the Jedi before the Jedi even see it themselves. And this is not even him trying to look at it from a dark side. It's just he's from the inside and he's like, yeah, we're completely dropping the ball here. We're getting involved in politics. We're becoming political. We're taking a vested interest in how certain things are run. Yep. And we're picking sides. And that's not what the Jedi do. Our goal is to support and liberate and treat everyone equally. And my favorite scene from, in fact, this is why I actually love Tales of the Jedi. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, again, spoilers, but you should watch it because Ahsoka and Dooku are heavily featured in those six episodes, and they're all about 18 minutes long. And there's this one episode where, like Dooku, you know, black hair, blue lightsaber, takes an apprentice Qui-Gon to a planet, and they're experiencing corruption, and first, a nobleman has been taken hostage, at least his son has been taken hostage, and then over time, even the kid who got taken hostage and Qui-Gon and Dooku realize that how these, for lack of a better term, like, townspeople or peasants are being treated very poorly, and you kind of see Dooku snap a little bit. He snaps. Yeah. You know, and Qui-Gon has to reel him back in. But I think the scene that kind of broke me just watching the show, and you can actually see this is where Dooku, I guess, gets broken. This is where he gets fully taken advantage of by Sidious is when he finds out Qui-Gon died. And you learn a little bit about the fact that he already been in league with Dar Sidious and they had kind of been planning things and how Maul was supposed to be a distraction. But when he's standing there in front of that Uneti tree, mm. after he hears Qui-Gon die, and you kind of have the funeral, and Yaddle comes up to him because she's concerned about her friend, right? Because you know Dooku is a very well-respected member of the Jedi Council, albeit a little progressive, maybe more forward-thinking, and it's sad because you realize that he just—that was it. That was the last straw for him, and that's when he fully commits to the dark side, and ultimately ends up, you know, killing Yaddle, which is incredible. It's a cool fight scene, and it's very reminiscent of the Anakin scene where Anakin is denied the rank of Jedi Master. Well, Count Dooku also gets denied the rank of Jedi Master because Mace Windu, in a very weird turn of events, rats him out for being too vested in a certain mission that they were following up on, where a previous Mm. Jedi Master had been ambushed and killed, and Dooku had suspected foul play, and he was right all along. But then Windu gets the promotion and not him.
0: And you can see that as the catalyst, similar to Anakin. And then, you know, it's pride. Pride and unjust. He felt like it was unjust, right? Mm -hmm. Which it was. Yeah, no, that's an intense turn of events. And I think something that's notable about the Qui-Gon death thing, and this is further expanded on in things like the audio drama Dooku Jedi Lost. Dooku's pretty confident that if he didn't take the path he did, where he starts questioning the Jedi a lot and kind of falls away, as you said, Amon, he's fallen away. He's not Sith yet, but he is in league with Sidious, talking with him, and he's kind of like walking away from the Jedi. But he's not become a Sith yet. He's basically at that moment convinced when he hears that Qui Gon actually died that he inadvertently brought about Qui Gon's death through some of his actions, right? Mm-hmm. And it it's one of that like point of no return. He could have made choice A or choice B, and he chose choice B. Choice B is well, I let the dominoes fall and this horrible thing happens, so I might as well keep going down this path because. At Dooku's core, he's a man that has a very noble cause for the galaxy, but he gets to that noble cause through nefarious means, and it just gets worse and worse as the Clone Wars goes on, because he's doubling down on that means to an end thing, right? I think about Dooku a lot, and I do think he's probably one of the most
1: underutilized Star Wars villains we have. He gets a lot of airtime in the Clone Wars, for sure, because he is technically the main villain of the conflict, at least publicly. I just feel like there's so much nuance and depth into his character. Obviously, again, we talked about, you know, in front of the Uneti tree, his breaking point. But I also think, as you mentioned, like him being a count, give him better perspective, right? He's known nothing but affluence his entire life. He stepped away from all that, threw away his wealth and possessions to join the Jedi. But then after he joins the Separatist side, he uses that wealth and that power to grow his influence and grow his net worth so that he can support and finance a war. And I think it's so interesting because, like, it's a complete contradiction, right? We have this person who, as a Jedi, hates the wealth and hates the wealthy and all this stuff. But then, and the power, the abuse of power. Yeah. Exactly. But then,
0: the moment he has the opportunity or the need to do so, he does that. Well, and it's less so that he's abusing the power, but in his mind, he's like, I'm getting more power, but not to abuse it. I'm getting more power to do this noble thing. That's what it is in his mind. That's why he's a great villain, right? I've always said on a lot of my podcasts over the years, like because I've talked about a lot of story things on my shows, but the greatest villains of all time don't think they're a villain. They think they're doing the right thing in their mind, right? And Dooku is one of the better Star Wars villains because he is so nuanced in that way, most certainly. He's not a Palpatine like the devil himself, who literally just wants all power and everything under his control. Dooku has a noble cause he's trying to get to. But when you tap into the dark side and you tap into wealth, like you said, and you just keep going back and back and back to them, diminishing returns, you know, like it starts eating you alive. Yeah. There's two very famous, often cliche quotes
1: that can be attributed to Dooku and path to hell is paved with good intentions. That's right. And then you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And that's kind of what happens with Dooku here.
0: Yeah. I thought you were about to say, Quote on addition to those, the uh, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. You know? It's just so simple, but it's like. It's the truth. One
1: thing that I've always wondered about Dooku, too, is the fact that, you know, Dooku is always talking about these progressive reforms and really wanting to change the way that society and the galaxy works. But then also his fighting style is very antiquated, right? Oh, I want to hear what you go with this. Well, it's so interesting because, like, I feel like Dooku is a man full of contradictions, right? And we just talked about the wealth perspective and things like that. He uses this lightsaber technique, Makashi. And he's an expert at it. He is the best at it, quite possibly the best Makashi user of all time. But the form is kind of goes to the wayside because once blasters came into the picture, it's not very good at blocking, right? It's more of a fencing duelist, as we talked about in the Asajj episode. And so I think it's just so interesting that, you know, it's like he has these traditional values, but then he also has this like radical, progressive forms and goals and so I think I just find it so interesting I don't know if there's necessarily a point with this but I just feel like it just shows who Dooku is it's someone who while wants reform is firmly rooted in the past and you can kind of see that contradiction lead him to making these poor decisions which
0: lead him down the path of the dark side. He's an older man he's a gentleman as we mentioned earlier at the top of the show quite honestly in his mannerisms, his manners itself, his dress and his you know, decorum, as you mentioned, Amon. But on top of that, yeah, when you start tapping in the dark side, some of that fades away too. <laughs> you know? I think they make a very interesting distinction. This is a good pickup point for we pick up in Dooku in episode two. So Dooku in episode two has basically fully become a Sith. He's not that far down the path yet though, but he's fully become a Sith. And he's tapping in the dark side now in the Sith and working with Sidious to bring about this noble cause, right? In his mind. And he actually gets the Separatist Alliance to form their treaty in the movie. We see it in the movie, but then he has all these like intense means to an end, where he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna execute Anakin Skywalker, Senator Padme Amidala, and Jedi Knight Obi Wan Kenobi," you know, and make a an example of them at the start of my new group. We know what happens with that—the Jedi showing up—but it was all part of Sidious's plan. And Duke knew that too. You know, it was all just a sham. Yeah, hundred percent. And on top of that, I think we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, and I was like, well, we'll touch on that later in mind. the whole creation of the Clone Army. Dooku was a nefarious pawn in that whole game Master Sifo-Dyas, Django Fett, getting the DNA for the Clone Army, all that. A lot of that, most of that was just Dooku, just manipulating stuff. So he's been a pawn for a long time. And what's really tragic about Dooku in this long run is, you know, we talked about Ventress recently and how. He does her dirty, right? But at first, they actually have somewhat of a relationship, and he even has potentially plans to overthrow Sidious like you always do with Ventress. But then the second Sidious tells you, well, you got to kill Ventress. She's getting too strong. Dooku's like, well, cut her off, you know, and try to kill her. He's definitely a man in two worlds, and that's what's sad and tragic, because I've noticed in the years since the prequels and the expansion of the Clone Wars over those years, over the last 15 years of the show being out, that... Dooku in episode two and Dooku in the Clone Wars are very different people, and that's intentional. Yeah. Especially the further the show goes on, he gets much more dark side, much more evil, much less nuance with his whole sort of, you know, maybe episode two, he's kind of like a gray Sith, right? But then by the end of the Clone Wars, he's a full on Sith. He's doing whatever needs to be done to bring about the bad stuff in the galaxy. And it doesn't bad because we know how Dooku's story ends up in episode three. He fights. Anakin and Obi-Wan, he was told to capture the Chancellor. It's all planned to lure Obi-Wan and Anakin to the ship, right? And then when Anakin beats Dooku in combat and cuts off his hands, Chancellor Palpatine says, kill him now. And Dooku's face of horror as he looks over and realizes he's been double-crossed by his own master. And he realizes that the whole time he was just a pawn to bring about this war because essentially without Dooku, we couldn't have the war, right? We couldn't have the creation of the clone army. We couldn't have the Separatist army. And in that moment, Dooku knows it's very sad. His whole life was just a pawn for the Sith Lord. And Anakin beheads him. I will say, what a wonderful performance by the late Sir Christopher Lee. Oh man, Chris Lee, that man. Incredible. Iconic, right? But it's a tragic story. A lot of Star Wars stories are tragic and that's part of the beauty of the fantasy old school archetypes, right? And that's what separates it from other stories. But there's an extra sad one. In that moment, he realizes, I'm being killed by the next Sith Apprentice, and I didn't see it coming. And why did I do all this stuff you know, to bring about what I wanted in the galaxy when, in fact, I actually led to something much more nefarious, which ends up being the Galactic Empire, which is something Dooku would be 100% against. Like I said, man, he had good intentions. The path to hell, that's right. It was definitely paid for him. So... It's a somber note to leave on the Dooku lore, but we will close out and talk about he was super proficient in the Force and dueling both, which is unique to him, right. right? As a Sith in particular, super Force adept, you know, creeping up on Palpatine levels, and then super duelist adept. Amon mentioned so very cool that he fell into that spot. Also, of course, known for his curved saber, like you mentioned, Amon, that is more like a actual traditional saber, as in our world saber (laughs) Uh, as in fencing dueling you know rapiers you know that type of stuff which is super cool because if you look at his some of his dress not his traditional jedi sith outfit but like even like his pajama outfit where it's just featured in clone wars and his dueling outfit which is like more of a spanish chest armor piece with engravings on it right and the trousers and you know the kind of like more flamboyant cuffs like it's, it's very traditional like Count of Monte Cristo, Duelist. Like Zoro. Yeah, Duelist stuff, right? Very cool. He's a distinguished man. That's absolutely it. But, you know, we've got to move on to Count Dooku in Star Wars Shatterpoint today, Mon, because this is Count Dooku, the Separatist leader. So he's right in the middle of the Clone Wars, and he's going to be a staple of this game. So let's talk about his stats and abilities real quick. He has 10 stamina, a durability of 3. He costs seven squad points, so he's our second model in the game thus far that costs as much as Anakin, our priciest model yet. Alongside Anakin, he has a pool of four force, which is super awesome. And looking at his card, he has only three keywords, force user, separatist alliance, and Sith. Yeah. So obviously we talked about force a little bit in our opening weekend
1: games and even before that, and... Four force is huge. Huge four force is the difference between an extra move or an extra ability, potentially some more damage and more control over the course of the game, which is exciting. Three dude ability is great. I love the fact that he's not at two. I think, you know, Maul hurts in that regard, but also Maul is not necessarily all there. But Dooku is, at least for the time being, until he gets executed at the hands of young Skywalker.
0: <laughs> That's right. Anything about these tags Sam to you?
1: Yeah, you know, I thought there may be one or two more, but I think separate alliance, Sith, and Force user make all the sense to me. Yep. So I guess I'm not really sure what
0: those additional tags would be, but short and sweet. Yeah, short and sweet, right to the point. We'll get into why he has four Force later, other than we just established in lore, he was one of the strongest Jedi Masters out there, and surely he's a powerful Sith, right? So I like the balance, but also, we've talked about in the show, it's going to be harder to build around him. It's going to be harder to build around him because he's more expensive.
1: Yeah, that seven cost means that you're going to have to find a three-point supporting or secondary unit. At the moment, there are only three-point supporting units in the game, and those are, at this time, the Magna Guards, which we'll talk about in a moment. And then, of course, the 501st. You can use either or when squad building, but obviously, you know the right choice,
0: and we'll talk about them later. Oh, and the B1s as well. And the B1s, that's correct. Droid. Droid synergy. But we've got to move on to his cardamon. And the first of his abilities is a tactics ability, leader of the Separatist army. At the start of Dooku's activation, choose another Separatist alliance character within three. Each character in this unit and the chosen allied character may dash.
1: Yeah, this is a fantastic ability. The moment Dooku activates, you can pick another Separatist alliance character within three. That could be a droid. That could be Jango. That could be Whomever else comes out, I think, you know, obviously we have Kraken, Kalani, droids, whatever your squad looks like, you can set that up to where it works in your favor and you can get that extra movement. I think one of the strengths about the Separatist forces in general is the fact that I think they can swarm points early and you can kind of build that early lead to win struggle one quickly and Dooku continues to enable and fortify
0: that strategy and it's great these abilities can win games just straight up, right? And you're netting actions when you're not taking them. It's always good. You know, the more separatists you have around them, more options you have.
1: Yeah, it highly encourages you to have both strike teams on the team be of the separatist variety. Now, the next ability here is surely you can do better. And what this says is, when a character in this unit is targeted with an attack, this unit may spend one to three force to use this ability, while modifying the attack roll, change one strike or hit result to a fail for each force spent. Now, I just want to point out that there was a slight errata on this, and what it says is that when a character in this unit defends during the modify dice roll step, so then is when you can do the modification where you can do the one to three force
0: to use the ability. So it's later in the phase.
1: Stronger. It just makes more sense when it comes to the order in which attack dice modification happens. So attacker rolls, then the defender rolls, then the attacker modifies,
0: and then after that, Dooku can then modify. Which is nuts, quite honestly, right? Because he can see exact perfect information, essentially. Right. And uh, this is his fighting style and his response to the enemy. Of course this is a reactive ability. It's great, I'm on, and I love that it's one to three, so you get to decide, like, you can see the results and then you can choose how much you want to spend, which, excellent, you know? But continuing with these reactive abilities, we have twice the pride, double the fall, cost one force, after a melee attack targeting an allied character within two is resolved, Dooku may use this ability, if the attack roll contain no hit results, one character in this unit may dash, and then make a five dice melee attack targeting the attacking character. So basically, he gets to respond outside of his activation.
1: That is correct. So effectively, out-of-activation attacks are awesome in all games because you get more dice thrown at your opponent. And essentially what this does is if someone attacks Dooku and they just have a really poor role, then you get to punish them for it. And it's very thematic in the way that it's phrased, twice the pride, double the fall. How dare you have the hubris to attack Count Dooku Of course you weren't going to do any damage to me, now I'm going to teach you what it is to mess with me. And you know, five dice attack is fine, might net you one or two spots on the damage tree, but it's pretty good for Dooku because he can dish out a lot of damage, which we'll talk about in a bit, but also you get that free dash, right? So you can still position yourself to where you still have to be within two, unless of course you're using a ranged attack, which Dooku does have ranged attack, which we'll talk about again in a moment. But it allows him to either get towards the point, get away from a point, move closer to the opponent, et cetera, et cetera. So this can really tee you up before Dooku's activation, or if maybe Dooku de- gets misplaced due to shoves or enemy manipulation, this could maybe help you rectify that and bring you back into shape. It's a big deterrent, actually, to attacking Dooku. It's not going to happen very often, but when it does, again, you get that double
0: punish, right? Right, because he's allied with himself, right? So he can trigger this Correct. off of, off of himself as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not only when you attack his friends, but it's when you attack him. After that, text resolves. He can spend a force get free attack against you, which is great because we're seeing a thing with Duku, Aman, which we'll cover shortly in his playstyle summary. But he's a very reactive character that does a lot of stuff outside of his activation, and that kind of is his playstyle. And that's what you have to maximize when you play him, which is super interesting and super different, and adds to that duelist nature of who he is, right? Which is super cool. But closing out his card, he has the identity. Brave, but foolish. Once per turn, when an allied primary unit or allied secondary unit is wounded by an enemy effect. After the effect is resolved, refresh two-force. Then, choose an allied separatist alliance supporting unit. One character in the chosen unit may dash or make a five-dice attack.
1: Yeah, this is awesome. Again, you know, all these abilities lend credence to the fact that this is Not necessarily Dooku, the immaculate warrior, but this is Dooku, the general, the leader. And so he kind of runs the whole battlefield, at least in terms of his forces, and so everyone has to move around. And essentially, he just makes everyone move around and do what they need to do to win the battle. And yeah, if Dooku gets wounded, or Jango, or maybe the other components of another strike team, then you get two force back, which is great, because you can be quite liberal with force spending because of the fact that he has four, but then you has this built-in Refund, right? Right. This battery. It's nice. So it's really cool. It works really well in application. And then of course, again, being able to move a droid unit most likely. So the supporting units and the separatist army are the B1s, the B twos, the Magna Guards. You can kind
0: of move them around and make some more shots, which is great. Yeah. And we assume we might get more supporting units in the future. Separatist Army, right? One can assume there's other droids that have been untapped. But also, I love that Amon, it's like they can dash or get a free attack. So once again, you did something to Dooku's team, he's responding. You did something to his team, he's the general, he's the leader of this grand army of the Separatist Alliance. He's making you pay for it, right? So I love that. And I love that like you're punished for doing something you want to do in the game, which is wounding primaries and secondaries, right? And then his supports are getting better, kind of, slightly. So it's interesting. Obviously, it's going to be a big part of what you build into with his lists, right? For sure. But we got to move into Dooku's forms, Amon, starting with his iconic Form 2 Makashi. He does have a ranged profile on both forms, I will say that now, which is unlike our other Jedi thus far. They either have like one side with range or nothing, right? Looking at Maul with a saber throw, right? So in Form 2 Makashi, Dooku has a range four attack that is a strength of six. It has six dice on the attack and Five defense dice on range. But then in melee, he's a straight seven melee attack, seven melee defense. These numbers are nice. Pretty hefty, benefiting not only the
1: leader of the separatist movement, but then also just speaks to his caliber as an individual fighter and combatant as well. The expertise is where it gets particularly interesting when it comes to Form 2 Makashi. We've talked about Makashi with Asaj a little bit and alluded to the fact that it is a more of a fencing duelist style. And you can really see the benefit here because the idea is that you wait until you find that weakness and you exploit it with devastating consequences. And we see that with his lightsaber expertise. One to two expertise gives you two crits. (laughs) Three to four gives you two crits with a hit. Five plus gives you three crits, which is incredible. As you're aware, crits cannot be blocked. Obviously, expertise can kind of move crits around a little bit. Yep.
0: But ultimately... Very potent, very strong. I love it. It's one of our most potent expertise thus far. Like, it's just scary. Yeah, and this is why he's seven points, because he can do things like this. Right, on top of four force and all these reactions. But moving on, Amon, he does have the range profile on this side, which is much weaker than his other side's range profile, but it's still here, which I love the option. A force lightning expertise. On an expertise of one to three, you're going to get a hit and an auto damage, just a damage on the opponent, right? And on a expertise of four up, you're going to get a crit, a hit, and one auto damage. So Force Lightning, pretty good.
1: Yeah, I like the fact that he has that range capability. And again, you know, he's he's a master of manipulation and movement. And you want to protect Dooku, I think it's very easy to look and see him as a card and say, oh, okay. Well, he's a great fighter, but at the end of the day, he's a recharge for my Force, He enables me to make more attacks with my units. He enables me to dash a lot more at the beginning of his turn and then reactively and through his identity. I think it's a really smart design choice from AMG because of the fact that you maybe don't want to bring him near the front lines, but you still want him to be able to engage because he's a hefty piece. Now, speaking of protecting Dooku, if you want to check out his defensive expertise, it's called Duelist Training 1-2. You get a block and you get to turn an enemy crit into a fail. On a three plus, you get one block again, but you get to turn two enemy crits into fails. That's strong, especially with the seven defense on melee. Oh, it's incredible. It's very hard to damage Dooku when you take the look at the law of averages and I guess the dice math, I guess the shatter math.
0: Balance of the force. Yeah. With these dice. Absolutely. Seven and seven on melee, amon. That can't go unignored. Like That's just, that's scary attack and defense in this Makashi and melee. And spoiler alert, this is the melee side, right? His other side is more about range, which we'll get to in a bit. Correct. So
1: let's jump to his starting points now. Dooku is a snowflake. He's special. And so he gets two different starting points. And this is where you get to decide how you really want to play Dooku. And as we mentioned earlier, you know, this is the duelist Dooku and As part of Duelist, movement is paramount. So you can either shove your opponent and deal a damage, or you can start with a reposition and a damage. Both incredible. That's a strong start. Yeah, like most characters are not getting the shove until the second, third, or even fourth tile. Yep. And so you kind of have to hope and bank on a good roll. But as long as you get one hit through, or you just roll an expertise, you should be able to get that shove through, and then of course deal that damage, or get out a dodge, or maybe capture a point with that reposition. Now, both of those paths then share the next tile, or lead to the next tile, which is just a flat two damage, because Dooku means business. Now, from here, you kind of see that crisscrossing nature, where ultimately, when you're a duelist, the point is to deal damage, but how you get to that damage is your choice, because you're that master duelist. So from here, we have two split paths. If you take the upper path, it's another shove and two damage, or... You can expose your opponent by taking the lower path and deal two damage. Now, from there, we then converge at the next meeting point, which is, again, two damage. So if you've made it this far, you're doing seven damage already. Four spaces in. Yeah. Four spaces in. Now, if you go to the fifth success or the fifth tile, then what that enables you again is you get a choice. Do I want to strain them and deal a damage? Or do I want to shove them again? And deal a damage so now we're at eight damage with potentially three shoves in a row then if we get to that last tile or that last space on the damage chart where both points culminate is you get that reposition and two damage so if you have an incredible set of rolls with dooku you can shove three times and reposition or you can reposition twice and then any combination of the tiles that we discussed already it's actually quite incredible the amount of options this provides you But this really makes, you know, imagine that fight scene with Yoda where like they're both just bouncing all over the place and he's just moving really fast, even though he's an old guy. This is what this is doing. As a duelist, you must use your surroundings and move. And he's able to not only move you, but reposition up to two times
0: during the combat tree, which is incredible. All these pushes, all these repositions and all these conditions on the path you can go. No matter what path you go, if you complete the tree, you're doing 10 damage, which is going to ace a lot of models in the game. In fact, most models.
1: Yeah, I think Anakin is 11 and Maul is an 11. Yeah. Outside of that,
0: everyone's getting ace. Everyone's like a 10 or less. Yeah. So, if Duke could complete his tree, you just lost the duel, you know? And you've now, like, that's it. And the game's going to be harder for you here on out because, yeah, man, you got to wake up and everything's going to cost more force. This could be terrible.
1: Yeah. Knock him out the box, Luke. That's right.
0: Knock him out. So, i I think we'll talk more about Makashi in a second when we cover like the summary of his character. But let's move on to Force Mastery, the other side of his form card. And of course, he still has that range four distance on his range attack. But now, the range attack is buffed up because we're full on Sith Lightning mode. Eight attack dice on range. Six defense dice on range. Six attack dice on melee. Six defense dice on melee. So your melee is down by one, respectively, on attack and defense. But... Your range attack is a bump of two on attack and a bump of one on defense. And I think it's represented on the side because he's obviously using the Sith lightning and other force powers. Exactly.
1: Talking about this force holistically, before we get into some of the minutiae here, I like to start the game in force mastery. It gives you that extra point of defense or that extra die on defense if a ranged attacks. And that's kind of the primary method in which you can take damage sure. in the earlier stages of the game. So I really do like that. And then, of course, 8 damage at range 4, or 8 dice at range 4 is just incredible. And we're going to see why that is so incredible, because we're highlighting the ranged aspects of Force Mastery here. 1 to 2 expertise with Force Lightning, which is his ranged attack. You get a crit and a damage. If you get 3 to 4 expertise, you get 2 crits and a damage. And 5 plus expertise, you're getting 3 crits and a damage.
0: Either way, Force Lightning will always damage you, because it's going to cook you to a crisp. That's right. And damage is one of those things I feel like we're still like getting the surface on how powerful it is. It's just such a weird effect that's not super common in the game. So when you see it, you're like, oh, it's meaningful because it's just we're not doing the tree or anything. It's just damage. It's just happening to you before I've even done the tree.
1: Honestly, if you get some expertise triggers on the range attack with Makasha, you can take down and you can ace an Anakin. Yeah,
0: you don't even need to worry about the tree at that point, right? As the game goes on, like free damage from expertise matters a lot.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. Sticking on Force Mastery here, we do have, obviously, the melee characteristic as well. One to three expertise here. Two crits, four plus, two crits, and one regular hit. Which, again, is still pretty impressive. And just further reinforces the fact that Dooku is a supreme lightsaber user. That's right. Now, going to his defense here, less exciting, but I think reliable. Defensive duelist training, one to two expertise, one block, three to four, two block, five plus, three block. So you're not turning any opposing crits to fails, but you're getting more blocks overall, which, hey, is
0: important. That's right. And let's talk about this path on his tree because it's a little bit different. I'm on before we had that cross hatch, that crisscross you mentioned, where you do something cool and a damage, and then you, you always do two damage. Do something cool, go down to two damage. This is not that way.
1: This is not that way at all. And I think this just Really allows you to kind of pick a path and stick to it. So there's two branches here that allow you to kind of choose which direction you want to go, but they end in the same spot. Either way, the important thing to remember is each branch offers you the ability to do seven damage in total. And there's only five tiles here compared to the six from the previous one. Yep. So a little less in terms of the damage output, but again, very useful in how you go about it. So if we take the upper branch, starts at two damage, then you get two recovers then you pin someone and deal a damage, then you reposition, deal two damage, and then you end the tree at two damage, which is pretty interesting, honestly. Like This is the more of the utility, I think, side of things, where obviously you can slap a condition in the middle of it, but it's really making sure that you're either healing yourself or removing conditions off yourself or an allied unit within two, and then of course, I think the infamous reposition that Dooku gets, because he is that amazing fighter and tactician. If you take the bottom branch, this is the condition heavy. This is where you want to really lock down an opposing enemy fighter or enemy unit, for that matter. This allows you to disarm, then strain, then expose them while dealing a damage each time you hit one of those spots on the branch, culminating again in that two damage.
0: Seven damage in three conditions is a lot. (laughs) Like That's scary in itself. Also keep in mind, too, if you hit some expertise along this path as well, you're giving some auto damage from that expertise, right? So it's pretty scary. It's very scary. And I think both forms, both
1: stances, honestly, give you a ton of options. I think obviously you want to pick your poison in terms of how you want to, I guess, deal it. But my general recommendation would be Force Mastery is the better of the two to be in until an enemy primary is trying to hunt you down or you're trying to take out a particular unit, whether it's a really annoying primary or secondary unit. Then you switch to Makashi. You lay that beat down. And then hopefully weather the storm so you
0: can get back into Force Mastery. Yeah, I feel like Dooku and Mikashi is going to one-on-one most models, right? not saying he's going to beat them necessarily, but he's going to sustain through it. And it's part of the form, right? i is like, it's looking for openings, it's being defensive, and then dealing damage when you find that opening, right? So I like that he can pretty much 1v1 anybody in the game thus far. That's cool when he's in Mikashi.
1: Yeah, big fan of Dooku. And so I guess this kind of leads us into talking about how to play Dooku as a whole. Dooku interesting because, again, we've talked about his combat prowess and his ability to deal damage as a unit, but I think that's actually, and we were kind of gushing over it, Jesse, to be honest, mm. but I think that's actually the least important part about his kit, just how good he is, is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, truly. He is that force multiplier. He provides a lot of action compression nice. to your forces, right? Your strike teams, because think about it, leader of the Separatist army. He and another character at the beginning of their turn can both dash and then twice the pride, double the fall. He can dash and then make a five dice attack, whether it's attacking someone within two of him or him himself. And then Brave but Foolish, again, when you actually take a damage and your opponent gains momentum, it's still at your advantage because you get to refresh two force and then pick another separatist supporting unit and then dash So three different instances of dash out of his four abilities. It's incredible. It's insane how much he can help you move your units to get all over the board. And then also his only other ability that doesn't let you dash allows him to actually manipulate his opponent's dice so that he takes less damage so that he can keep trudging around the board, moving himself and everyone else around him. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, and obviously free attacks too, right? Like him getting free attacks and those supporting droid units getting free attacks. That's that force multiplier thing you're talking about too, right? Like it's just the longer the game goes, the more of those he gets off in theory, right? It's not even his turn. He's doing stuff, right? It's great. He's awesome. Well, we got to move on to someone very exciting. Just a simple man in the galaxy named Django Fett. So Django Fett, he's tough because we have a lot of legends Information on him and lore. We have a lot of canon stuff, though less now. But we will only be talking about canon today. Those legend stuff is fascinating. But in canon, Jango Fett was a famed Mandalorian human male bounty hunter. And of course, most importantly, he was the template to the Galactic Republic clone army. What's interesting though is before he was even the template to the clone army, the DNA for that, he was just known straight up as the best bounty hunter in the galaxy during the final years of the Republic. He was really good at marksman, amazing in hand combat, and he wore Mandalorian armor, which obviously had various weapons and tools. He's most known for his double Westar pistols, his flamethrower and his jetpack and his wrist rocket and his jetpack rocket. And he had a modified fire spray patrol ship that was very well known across the galaxy that, of course, Boba takes later. Now, in current canon, we do know that Jango was a foundling of Mandalorians, which was great. This is why I say he really is a Mandalorian. Through the canon we know now of Mandalorians, we found Link's Count as well, right? And he did fight in the Mandalorian Civil Wars before becoming a bounty hunter. When he became a bounty hunter, he did get to know all the other bounty hunters in the guild and other things like that. He obviously crossed paths with people like Cad Bane, Aura Sing, Sam Wessel, and Hondo Anaka, all big names in the galaxy at this time. But in time of him becoming a bounty hunter after these Mandalorian Civil Wars, he became known as the best bounty hunter of the galaxy in the Republic era. Of course, we do know after the invasion of Naboo in episode one, Darth Tyrannus, what do you know, Count Dooku today, hired Jango to work for the Separatist army. And secretly, he hired him to, this was all subterfuge, I mentioned the Dooku thing, right? But the Master Sifo-Dyas, all this stuff. Sifo-Dyas was a part of the Jedi Council, but Dooku was part of this web of truths and lies and basically had Django be the donor for this army and of course his dna spawned millions of clone troopers who shared his face his voice and his body but Django did have one request from the kaminoans get one clone for his own that is unaltered by their sped up growth process has no sort of altered dna or anything like that just a direct clone of him that would be his son and as all that's going on, he's living with the Kaminoans, and he's hired by Darth Tyrannus again to assassinate Senator Padme Amidala. Of course, we know that doesn't work out. We know it all culminates on Geonosis. If you've seen Episode Two, of course, before that, Jango Fett and Boba Fett are pursued by Jedi Master Obi Wan Kenobi, who's hot on their trail, figuring this case out in this film noir story in the middle of the Star Wars universe, and of course leads him to Geonosis. But I do find it super fun that Django and Obi-Wan do fight and it's a pretty even fight in a lot of ways, you know, which is great. I think it would be less even if Boba wasn't in the fire spray shooting (laughs) (laughs) Obi-Wan the whole time he's fighting Django. But dude, him and his dad, they get it done, you know, like whatever needs to be done, they get it done. And of course, the fight continues in the asteroid belt in space.
1: I love how you found a way to talk about Obi-Wan in an episode where we're not talking about
0: Obi-Wan. Hey, it's crucial to Django's story. Is it though? It is. Hmm. We wouldn't even have, it's crazy. If Obi-Wan didn't pursue Django and actually track him, he'd probably still be alive. Because inadvertently, Obi-Wan gets caught, which makes Anakin come there to try to save him, who gets caught, (laughs) and inevitably makes the Jedi Council show up, and uh, Mace shows up.
1: Well, let's get this party started before he
0: shuts it down. Yep. So, Mace shuts it down. It's long story short, we know it. But uh, yeah, Jango was like a personal bodyguard of Dooku, hired powerful bounty hunter. The most interesting part of his story is what he served in this greater story, Amon, is that he was part of this great subterfuge by Sidious, by Tyrannus, this whole, the Republic needs a clone army, right? Give him a nudge, you know? (laughs) We need this war to break out, right? And he was the donor for that. And of course, you know, they always talk about how powerful the clones are because they had a great donor, you know? This guy who was a really smart man, who is a great fighter, well-known across the entire galaxy, and that's what every clone is based off of, which is always just so fascinating, you know? Like, the sci-fi element was used in an interesting way, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, Rex is not Jango Fett, right? Rex is his own person, entirely, 100%. But Rex has the exact same DNA as Jango Fett. But that's it for lore. Of course, we know he meets his end by Mace. Quick, aggressive, it's done, but We've got to move on and talk about Jenko Fett in Shatterpoint. I'm on who's Jenko Fett Bounty Hunter. Once again, snapshot of time. That's what we got today.
1: That's right. And so he's got a stamina of nine and a durability of two, which is pretty fair for a secondary unit. He costs four points. He comes with zero force and he's got four tags. Bounty Hunter, Mercenary, Scoundrel, and Separatist Alliance. Notably absent. And is a point of contention for me personally, but I'm sure you can explain to the listeners as to why this is correct. He does not have the Mandalorian keyword.
0: Yeah, and you and I talked about this on a previous podcast, and you were like <laughs> you were like, Should he have it? Should he not? I'm like, it depends on the route they go. Is obviously the route they went. He is a foundling. He's less Mandalorian now than he was even in the old canon. So I get it. This snapshot of him, they want just to focus on the bounty hunter side because to be clear, he is fully removed from all Mandalore culture at this time in the story. So makes sense. And we see that's not really what you do. Because even Din, who's off doing his own bounty hunting at the start of Mandalorian, we know that he's still tied into like the coven, right? And goes back and checks on him and stuff. So I don't know. Will we ever get a Django in this game in the past? Probably not, where he's more Mandalorian. But one can hope. But I'm also glad that he doesn't have Mandalorian for... The balance of the game.
1: That's fair. And as we're going to talk about now, Django is a very strong secondary unit. I can definitely see from a balance perspective as to why they didn't give him the Mandalorian keyword because it would just make the Mandalorian synergy that already exists in the game quite even more potent than it perhaps is at the moment. His first ability is an active ability called Jetpack. We've seen this. It's very familiar. All the other actual Mandalorian characters and units have it. Each character in this unit may jump,
0: cost a force. Anything to add here, Jesse? Love jump. Obsessed with it. I've already spouted, I think it's worth just double jumping with Padawan Ahsoka, right? Or Asajj, right? So obviously a single jump is amazing. But I do think Mandalorians in particular, and obviously Django, who has jump as well, it's just something they're always going to have. And I think as the game grows, they're just going to get better because the boards are going to get more intense as the game goes on, as they should, in my mind. So jump just gives you versatility. 100%. Jump is great. And especially if you
1: have, you know, some homebrew terrain or the high ground where it adds an additional layer of verticality, jump can come in very handy and help you win points. Because remember, the person who's on the same elevation as the point has priority over
0: the unit that may be within two of the point, but not on the same elevation. Yep. And keep in mind, jump on its worst day is like a dash which is also excellent. 100% well said. That will lead us to our next active ability, which is the
1: capture wire. So this is alludes to the battle that Jesse was referencing earlier with Obi-Wan, where he can just shoot out a little wire and drag his enemies in closer. This costs a force. Choose a character in this unit and an enemy character within three of that character. Pull the chosen enemy character. Range two towards the chosen allied character. In this case, Django. The enemy character gains Pinned. That's a lot of stuff happening. (laughs) And I love it. I think it's fantastic. It allows you to take an opponent off a point, which allows you to maybe better contest it in the same activation or in future activations. It allows you to completely displace a character, maybe drag them into melee range of another of your allied units. So then they lose all their hunker tokens if they're not using Obi Wan. In addition to that, it allows Django to maybe get into melee himself with that character. So many
0: amazing options and utility here. I really like it. Very strong. Oh, absolutely. And it always trips me up amon. This is just my super Star Wars nerd lore thing. Always in my brain. But until this moment I've never heard it called the capture wire. And Canon, it's always been called the Whipcord Launcher. So maybe capture wire just makes it more apparent what you need to do on the tabletop and that's why AMG went that route. But you know. Boba Fett has the same armor. It's called the Whipcord Launcher. And guess who also has a whipcord launcher? Cadbane.
1: I will say, I'm sure Lucasfilm approved all of this. So, yeah, Maybe they the name like, changed over
0: time. They're like, if it makes sense for the game, just do it for sure. Aman, you talked about how to use this in our game episode recently, like how to effectively use it, where you basically, it's weird because it's like you pull the enemy over Django and then you can like go past them and take the point from them, right? Correct. It's hard to describe in the theater of the mind through audio. That's my quickest way to describe it. So the way that angles work, like the pull and push, right?
1: And the way that it's described in the rules, what you can effectively do is even if you're near that character, as long as they pull the character towards you, you can pull them past Django so that Django's on the point and they're off the point. So absolutely correct in that regard. And I did mention that on last episode. Remember, ultimately, yeah, you have to try to like imagine those cinematic moments. But in terms of gameplay specifically... It's a very powerful tool because it can just make you win the point.
0: Well, in the pend is just icing on the cake, right? Because they're still wrapped up, which is super cool. Yep. But moving on, he has a reactive ability called Not So Fast, costs one force. At the start of an enemy unit's activation, if one or more of the characters in that unit are within three of a character in this unit, so within range three of Django, Django may use this ability. Roll five attack dice. The activating unit suffers damage, auto damage, of course, for each crit and hit in that die roll. Yeah, this is also very powerful as well. Oftentimes
1: what you can do is you can kind of park Django in the middle of the board or near a hotly contested objective, perhaps in struggles two or three, where they're a little more limited and kind of which ones can be the active objective. And then anytime a character activates, Django can just potentially deal damage. I've played games with, you know, mm-hmm. a very wounded character, activated near Django and then Django just
0: wounded them during their activation. That's wild. It's incredible. He's doing that quake draw. It's scary, quite honestly. And one force is reasonable for this, right? I think you're gonna put him in those places where you want him to be get this off as much as possible, right? His
1: risk reward, right? So obviously don't just yeet Django up and hope that he's going to live. And as you've seen so far, we've talked about three abilities and all of them have included a force cost, right? So Django is a very force-intensive character. He's very expensive in terms of what he can do. And he can do a lot, but there's a price to be paid there. And so keep in mind that ultimately you want Django to be able to do whatever it is you need Django to do. And if that means just parking him up front and doing some quote-unquote auto damage, great. But he's only got nine stamina and, you know, he can go down like any character in this game if you expose them,
0: for lack of a better term, long enough. Yeah, absolutely. But moving on, he has an innate ability called my client is getting impatient, Corsifer and Count Dooku. After this unit makes a focus action, one character in this unit may jump. Now this is very interesting, Amon, in conjunction with the jump from the jetpack earlier.
1: It is interesting because what well, this allows you to do is just jump twice with Django. So if you really need him to get somewhere where you need to go, you can advance, then focus gives you a jump, and then pay for that third movement. So Jango's super mobile. You can move him pretty much anywhere you want to on the board just through those sequence of events, which was just detailed. So very impressive. It also allows you to get around the jetpack tax if you want to, right? If you don't have yeah. the force or if you don't want to spend it or you're saving it for someone else, then yeah, you might have to be, for lack of a better term, inefficient with Django's activation. But hey man, a jump is a jump.
0: Yeah. Cause you could like, okay, the inefficient part you were re-referencing is like, you could like move, jetpack, hunker or something, right? Or attack. Or attack, of course. I'm just thinking more like early game, right? Like setting up. But you're saying in this instance, like you can just save your force entirely. You can move, advance, of course. And then just focus, and get a free jump. And you still got your full force pull.
1: Absolutely. And again, this is also beneficial in some other ways in which maybe you're not close enough to attack an enemy character, right? So focus... You get the jetpack, and then it makes your attack better. You're tracking him down. Well, he's trying to get the job done because his client's getting impatient. That's right. He's got to focus, quite literally. I like it a lot. Now, his last ability is called, I'm just looking to get paid. When a character in this unit wounds an enemy primary unit or enemy secondary unit, after the effect is resolved, refresh two force, and one character in this unit, meaning Django, may recover twice. Man. What an ability. Yeah, we're starting to see a theme here, right? So what Dooku allows you to do is whenever your Allied primary secondary units get wounded, you can refresh two force. What Django does is if Django takes out an enemy primary right. or secondary unit, that allows you to refresh two force as well and heal himself, you know, because the boy got paid. He's happy. And so It's a very powerful set of abilities, and Django can actually refund himself in a way, which is pretty exciting because he is a very selfish character in terms of resources. He's expensive, but if you do it right and you line up, yeah, you might spend two to three focus during his activation, but if you get that kill, right, then
0: you can get at least two of it back, which then allows your other allied units to make use of that. It's wild, because I think Django can always be in the discussion now going forward of he's going to refund me some force potentially, right? It, does he fit this list? A list that's maybe force intensive. I'm not saying like it's like plug him in at every force intensive list. I'm just saying that I think list building from this moment on in the game, people are always going to think about that, right? And try to break that or try to have fun with that or whatever your cup of tea is. Django does what he does by himself quite well. We're not even to his form yet. And then the fact that he's refreshing your force for everybody else on your team, it's excellent. It's fantastic.
1: And we haven't even got to his damage tree yet, so let's do that. It's called Resourceful Gunslinger, his stance card. He's got a range four attack with six dice and then five range defense. And he's got a six dice melee attack again with five dice at melee. Jesse, what do we think about these?
0: Yeah. Secondary stats, right? Respectable We're going to see very quickly, spoiler through Django's card and his expertise, that these might look pretty normal for a secondary, but where he really shines is in some of the things he does on this tree itself and the expertise.
1: Yeah, and I will say, when comparing and looking at all the other secondaries,
0: I think he's a little bit higher in terms of those dice. Yeah, just slightly. But let's get into these expertise real quick. So he has his custom blaster pistols. Of course, the expertise on these, if you get a one, you're going to get one crit. If you get two to three expertise, you're going to get two crits. And if you get four up expertise, you're going to get two crits and a hit. Yeah. And that's for his ranged custom blaster pistol. That's right. So a lot of crits, one expertise, one crit. That's happening a lot.
1: Yeah. Very similar to Dooku again, where Dooku can get a lot of crits on his attack. Like this team hits hard. And the reason they hit hard is because they're all really good combatants. Django is arguably the number one bounty hunter of this time period. and you're able to see that because if he wants to take you down, he knows how
0: to. Yeah, I like the theme is like expertise and skill with these characters, right? But moving on with the expertise results, of course, Amon alluded to it. The custom blaster pistol is used as a melee weapon and melee. On a expertise of one, you're going to get one auto damage. An expertise of two to three, you're going to get a hit and an auto damage. And an expertise of four up, you're going to get a crit, a hit, and an auto damage. So just a lot of damage when you're Trying to punch with him.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's just, you know, trying to fire that gun in close combat. Obviously, he doesn't really work out against Jedi users, but... Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, he's better at range. That's his whole shtick. But he's scrappy in a melee fight and... Auto damage. It's interesting. Auto damage is nice. Now, rounding out his expertise, we have a defensive expertise as well, which is going to look very familiar to you. Yep. Beskar armor, one to two, two block, three plus, three block. Classic Mandalorian
0: armor it's reliable dude it's so good It's just solid but let's get into his tree this resourceful gunslinger tree there's a lot here man and just to start out just to frame your thoughts he only got five spots on this like it doesn't go six plus or whatever and that's kind of a secondary thing too right it is but what's not
1: unlike a secondary thing is if you happen to go all five spots you're doing 10 damage it's insane again we have two characters with incredible damage output at range and at melee a lot of expertise critical successes a lot of force refunding and force use with dooku and django so we start out at the beginning of the branch here at two damage and then if you get to the second part it's the second tile it's a strain and a damage and then from there branches you can either go down and use an active ability which again keep in mind his active abilities are jetpack and or Capture Wire, and these would be for free, but keep in mind you can only use them once per activation, so if you're ever paid for one of them, thinking you can use the other one for free and vice versa, or you can go up and jump and deal two damage. Now from there, regardless of the choice you make, again like Dooku, it kind of crisscrosses a little bit, and it ends to a middle tile Mm. where you have to shove and then deal two damage, and then from there to end the damage tree... You can either jump and deal three damage or shove and deal three damage. So to be comprehensive in regards to the overview here, you're going to get a strain. And then on top of that, you can either jump twice, shove twice, or do a combination of all the above. Ideally, what seems the most interesting to me is deal two damage, strain and a damage, use the wire or the jump, then shove. And then from there, jump or shove again, depending on what it is you need to do to win that point. Very exciting.
0: It's super interesting to me, Mon, that the third part, which is where you branch, whether you go to that jump and two damage or that one free ability you mentioned, it's so interesting that like you're jumping on the top path and the bottom path you can jump, right? So I really just looked at this bottom path as like the capture wire or a jump with less damage because if you really want to jump, you can jump and deal two damage rather than just a jump with no damage. But I'm sure there's some things that might come up in the future. You might not want to deal damage or you might want to use it as a jump. I don't know, but like it just stands out to me. You know, I read that as capture wire.
1: You're right. It effectively is. And I would say nine out of 10 times. But if there's ever a situation which you don't want to take out the enemy character, maybe they're on a couple damage left and you want to, for some reason, keep them alive or keep them on a low to where that you can kind of wound them at the top of another struggle. That could be interesting, too. But you're right, 90% of the time, that just reads Capture Wire.
0: Yep. Which I love, getting that. And once again, that frames your mind, because we already talked about how you do that in the game, where it's like, you you can't have done the whipcord Capture Wire before that. You've got to have foregone it during your activation to get there, because you can't double dip, unless your card states otherwise. But I love that there's this much damage with shoves.
1: Yeah. He can do a lot, and I really like that. I really like that he has the flexibility. I mean, he's true to his name. He's one of the best bounty hunters of this time period. He's very resourceful. He's a gunslinger. That's for damn sure, given the fact that he's got the crits out the wazoo when you Yahtzee into an expertise role. So I really like this. And I think, you know, leading into a conversation about how you want to play Django, it's really up to you. Django can go hunt down primaries and secondaries, which is incredible. He can definitely punch above his weight class. I think if your opponent is relying on a Padawan Ahsoka or a Bo-Katan or a Rex or a Cody for their augmentation, Django can go take them down while your primary can focus on doing what primaries need to do for you in terms of your battle plan. And refresh your force while he's doing it. Exactly. On top of that, while Django is an amazing combatant who can deal 10 damage, a lot of the time he's doing 6, 7, 8 damage, if not 10. He can also just be a super mobile piece. Being able to advance and jump twice is incredible, right? It's like, you don't maybe have to attack to get the point. You just walk up there with Django and he can do that. So I really like how Django is very powerful at just a movement perspective. And again, most importantly, I guess not most importantly, but maybe from a more fun perspective is he can do a lot of damage. And I think this elevates Django into the, quite possibly the best secondary unit that we have
0: access to. Yeah. Bo's got some competition. That's what I'm hearing.
1: I think what Bo has going for is the fact that she's Mandalorians are stronger together, right? She's some of us serve a higher purpose.
0: That's right. She's making everyone else around her better while he's just an excellent unit by himself, which is thematically makes a lot of sense. I also do like to Amon that, that play pattern you mentioned with all the jumps, you can potentially focus, get a jump, then go down this tree and get two more jumps, right? After you took a shot. That's a lot of action economy and compression, which is amazing. It's shocking, honestly. And also, too, I think late game at any moment's notice, you've got to think about the Django could like advance, focus jump, and then jetpack jump and just maybe win a point and close the game out. Like he could just pivot to a side of the board that maybe you weren't thinking he could because of the double jump and an advance, right? So be aware of that as well. 1000%. I'm a big fan of Django and I think he's going to be very popular. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of this box. It is nuts. And Super fun. And we got to move on to the last part of this box, the support unit, of course, the Magna Guard. Also known as the IG-100 Magna Guards, or known as just plain Magna Guard, were some combat droids that were not developed until the Clone Wars. So they were developed by One Mechanicals and they were designed by General Grievous and they were used as personal bodyguards in the Clone Wars, although they were also known to accompany other high-ranking, Separatist leaders like Count Dooku and others. Guards were these fighting droids that were equipped with electrostaffs, which were weapons that could be used to even fend off lightsabers, melee weapons, of course. And they also were designed to continue fighting with the loss of their heads or multiple limbs. They kept going, which was unlike a lot of droids in the Star Wars universe because their main servos are inside their head typically, and when they lose their heads... That's it for a lot of droids in the Star Wars universe. But these guys were specifically designed to keep going. When that happened, they were also designed to combat Jedi. Now, what's interesting about them is they were extremely formidable in close quarters. And they also were capable of piloting ships using blasters and rocket launchers. And also some as the higher ranking Magna use cloaks. Just a stylistic choice. What's interesting about Magna Guards is they always fought in pairs or more. As part of their strategy, where it's like they basically just overwhelm their opponent. They're already incredible one-on-one combatants, right? They're some of the strongest, most formidable droids in the entire Separatist army. But when you start adding two, three, four of them on one target in close range, it's like they gang up on stuff. That's their play style, you know, <laughs> in fighting. And also why they're really strong. Also, I will mention, Amon, that in canon and, you know, Clone Wars itself and also a lot of the texts surrounding Clone Wars and stuff, Magna Guards were no slouches. They could easily take out like a Jedi Padawan or something like that, especially if there's two, three, four of them, right? They also could go toe-to-toe with some Jedi Masters for a long time. In fact, sometimes they would maybe not necessarily beat a Jedi Master, like kill them, but they would just have them completely tied up in this combat for a while, right? because they were designed with superhuman reflexes. So think about it, They're faster than any person out there except Jedi and Sith, right? They also had different weapons than the electro-staffs I mentioned. They also had these electro-whips. They could whip people and lock them up with whips and electrocute them. Also, Grievous and Dooku loved them because Grievous and Dooku could fight the main Jedi or something, and Magna Graves are coming from the sides and stuff. And honestly, in that fight, Grievous or Dooku have a huge advantage, huge advantage. The Jedi is disadvantaged at that time, who could probably maybe normally one-on-one with maybe Grievous in particular, maybe not Dooku. So they serve their purpose and uh, there's some scary guys, you know, and they're really good at combat and uh, you'll never see Grievous without him because he means business.
1: Yeah, he definitely does. And uh, yeah, I think they're one of the cooler droids out there. I remember watching Revenge of the Sith and I was like, man, those are sick. And the fact that their blades can like lock blades with a lightsaber is pretty interesting. And Mm. I think it's so cool. They've got like this desert Raider sort of vibe, almost like Tusken Raider inspired.
0: That's a good call. Yeah, absolutely. But they're not. They're not. No, they're IG droids, right? They're from the IG line, like the beloved IG-88 and IG-11. They're from that factory line, that type of thing. But yeah, very serious fighters and some of the scary stuff in the Separatists. Army, and I'm sure we'll cover more droids in the future, but it's cool these guys come out this early, Amon. Quite honestly, I wasn't expecting to see them this early in the game, but I'm happy they're here. And we got to move on to them in Shatter Point. They're just called Magna Guard, and they only have a couple of abilities right out the gate, Amon. Stamina of 10, durability of 2. So, once again, just like the B1 battle droids, though I think this is thematically a different reason, very high health.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're bodyguards right they're designed to be able to take punishment that bodyguard e if you will the person that they're protecting
0: that's right yeah
1: and in addition to that like they're also really good at dodging and maybe those cloaks make it hard for them to hit so <laughs> i think like the 10 is awesome i think 10 stamina is incredible for supporting unit
0: well i just said they sustain too right they're designed to be like you cut off a limb they keep coming unlike other droids so they've got a lot of health you got to cut through or shoot through also i didn't mention in the lore but Their armor is fairly blaster resistant, not fully blaster resistant, of course, but they can take a lot more shots than other droids and that's intentional as well.
1: 100%. Now, looking at their abilities, Jesse mentioned there's only three, but before we do that very quickly, just their tags, battle droid, separatist alliance, and trooper, all of that makes sense. And we go to their first reactive ability, protection protocols. After an allied separatist alliance primary unit makes a move action, this unit may use this ability. Choose a character in the activating primary unit. One character in this unit, meaning one of the Magna Guards, because it's a two Magna
0: Guard unit, may advance towards the chosen character. It rules. So Grievous, he's moving. They're following him, right? One of them is. Excellent. And that already brings up an interesting discussion, Amon. And you and I have had this a lot off mic, and I think there's credence to it, where it's like, do we separate our Magna Guards to have... The more prox of this ability, right? And just keep them by their separatist leaders. So the quick example is if I'm running Grievous and Dooku list, does one Magna Guard go on the right side of the table of Dooku and one go on the left side of Grievous? I don't know. Time will tell. But it seems like you're going to get a lot out of them if you do that one.
1: Certainly. Well, that's a pretty decent strategy. I think the important thing to keep in mind is that if one of them gets spiked, they both go down, Yep. right? It's always a they're sharing that health pool. So keep that in mind. But hey, it might be worth it to protect your primary from that spike.
0: Yep. Yeah, and speaking of protecting your primary, they have an innate ability called Bodyguard. Allied primary characters and allied secondary characters within two of the Magna Guard have cover one. Free cover.
1: Free cover is great. It's awesome. Obviously, you can't benefit from cover unless you hunker, but incentivize you to maybe hunker with your primary at the beginning of the game, keep them nearby. They're rolling two extra dice on defense. Pretty solid. But we were also mentioning earlier, you know, like taking that hit for their opponent, potentially those spike hits. And this last innate ability is intercede. While this character is not wounded, enemy characters engaged with one or more characters in this unit cannot target allied primary characters or allied secondaries with attacks. Oh, it's
0: insane. It's taunt.
1: It's taunt while they are not wounded, right?
0: Which they've got 10 health and they got respectable defenses, which we're about to get to in a minute. Not the greatest in the world, but definitely good. Yeah, it's scary.
1: It's super scary. Now, keep in mind that they lose it when they're wounded, but then when they activate and they have it in K, it might cost a force.
0: Nice. Good distinction, Mon. Very good. Well, we got to move on to their form. Defensive programs makes a lot of sense. They have a range profile of 0 on attack and a range defense of 5 because they are just using Electrostaffs in this profile the Magna Guard AMG has given us. And on their melee attack, it is a 6. And on their melee defense, it's a five. So respectable melee, that's for sure, for a sporting unit. Unusual for us, right? Because all the sporting units we've seen thus far in the game have been outside of Supermandos, have been a lot of shooting and not great melee.
1: Keep in mind, these guys are only three points, so... (laughs) That's right. It's actually incredible. I can get the fact that they are sparse on their card. Keep in mind, it's very
0: focused. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to their expertise real quick, Amon. So on their melee expertise of the electro staff you can expertise of one you can one crit expertise of two to three you're getting two crits expertise of four up you're getting three crits
1: so the trend continues jesse where the offensive expertise being put out by this strike team they're very potent they know how to hit you hard and they know where to do it at your pain points to make sure you take
0: a lot of damage these guys are scary in this box only three points only three points But closing out their expertise, they have defensive routine. On a one, you're going to get one block. And on a two up, you're going to get two blocks. This is kind of keeping with our droid design space we've seen thus far in the game. The droids just don't have amazing defenses or defense expertise, especially. Though I will say these guys have some of the best raw defense dice of droids thus far. Yeah, for sure. There's only so much you can give them. (laughs) Yeah, they already have 10 stamina as for a three cost character cry in 501st clone exactly yeah
1: now looking at their actual tree looks like a y-wing love the y-wing the first tile the starting tile is a shove and a damage which is solid makes a lot of sense second tile is another shove because they're going to push you back and two damage now and then from there you can branch off upper side which gives them a and then ends with a recover or you can take the bottom root, which is a disarm and to shove the damage allowing you if you
0: take that tree them shove you three yep Launch weekend of Shatterpoint, my opponent played the Magna Guard several times and was getting off a lot of shoves, and it was very scary for my clones who already didn't want to be in melee and win points.
1: They can. They're pretty solid on it. I think they can go toe-to-toe with any other supporting unit and probably tie up a primary or a secondary.
0: I like this Recover, too. I'm on to the end of their tree. It's only four spots at the end of the tree, right? But that's interesting. The top path, like the reposition followed by the recover. They can kind of get where they need to be, maybe set up more of that cover for their allies with the bodyguard or set up those intercedes. but also they've healed a little bit, so they're ready to do one of those two things I just mentioned.
1: Yeah, and you got to give up a little bit of damage to get to that heal, right? Because that top tree is only letting you do five, while the bottom tree lets you do a little bit more, six.
0: Yeah, makes sense, right, thematically. And I think these guys are a little bit more nuanced than it seems, Amon. And I think they're... Free move with a Separatist leader is part of that. You just got to get them to the table and figure it out because it's kind of nuts. And once again, it's adding that droid play style of they get a lot of free moves if you're playing them right. If you're positioning your Kalanis and your Dukus and things like that right on the table, all the other droids are getting to do cool stuff.
1: For sure. 100%. And yeah, the synergies you're mentioning right now are incredible, right? Like Kalani can move them around. When Dooku activates, they can move... They can move because of Dooku, and then they can also move because of themselves,
0: right? And then Grievous goes, and they move again or something, you know?
1: So it's quite impressive, and you're right, Jesse. Like, you really have to think about it. Do I want to split them up? Do I not? Personally, I don't know if you do. I think I'm leaning more no, but I can definitely see why you would in some cases to just maximize movement. And I think, again, what the Separatists are really good at in terms of play style, is getting on those points early and then sitting on them and forcing the Republic units... And teams to come and try to take it from them. And I think with the amount of movement that Separatists offer you, especially through Dooku and the Magna Guards as well, you can kind of get them to go where they need to go as well.
0: Absolutely. Well said. Yeah, I think too, when I'm referencing them splitting up, I think it's more of like a midpoint late game thing, right? I don't think you want to do it struggle one for sure. But I think you when you can pivot, when some models have been hurt on the board and also you know you need to like take that priority objective and stuff you might start splitting them up but i we got to close out our strategy like we always do talk about this box as a whole talk about how you play this box as a whole we've kind of talked this whole time the strengths of the box but now how do we get it to the table and maximize our fun and our competitiveness with it both
1: yeah great question and I think I'd love to summarize some of the themes here yep so lots of movement Number one, all three units have the move quite a bit. I think Dooku is the slowest, but really when we're talking about movement in Dooku, it's more about how much he can augment the rest with that action compression. Number two, they all hit hard. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. And their expertise, particularly, is putting out the hurt Dooku, Django, and the Magnagord. So what you really have to think about, it's very tempting actually to just get super aggressive, the strike team. And you certainly can, right? If your game plan is attrition and you want to just, take the fight to the enemy and take him out and mm. try to wound them as many times as you can and you know reduce their efficacy through the use of injury tokens and additional force taxes i think this strike team can do that but i think you have to be a little bit more nuanced with its application again as i mentioned earlier i think duku's biggest strength isn't when he's active right it's when he's just complementing everything around him and so keeping him in a position to where he is within you know 3 of everyone else or that he's able to be in a position where he's able to be that force battery for you whenever your units do get injured is important. Django is there to hunt things. That's his job. Kill things, make them to where they're less efficient against you. Yep. They're less in your way. And that also gives you more force refunds as well, right? Which allows you to, again, either keep Dooku alive or, you know, use Magna Guard abilities or additional movement abilities through your droids or just Django's And Jango also can move a lot, as we mentioned earlier. And keeping in theme with the Separatist idea here is that he can just kind of go wherever he needs to go and get onto whatever point. And how you play the Magna Guard is, well, slap him next to a primary. They help keep Dooku alive longer. The longer duku's on the table, mm. the longer you benefit from all of his amazing abilities. And don't sleep on protection protocols. I think we kind of glanced over this when we were talking about the unit card. But that's an advance. can advanced towards the chosen character, which means they can end up moving through them or past them to where they can now be in the front, which means that maybe that brings them into melee range with something else where they're in combat, which allows them to intercede or bodyguard. But then in addition to that, like, I would much rather my opponent shoot into the magna cards than Dooku. So many ways in which you can manipulate and play this box, again, attrition or just trying to win on scenario here. And I think just can do that and get that early lead and then Django and Dooku can go hunting in order to make
0: you sure you win that second or third struggle. You know, absolutely. And I also love that Django and Dooku have all these reactions where they can deal damage to you outside of on your turn too, right? Which disincentivizes you to be around them, which also is playing into their hands because now they're winning the points with their droids even harder because you're maybe kiting away or something. You don't want to deal with the twice the pride. You know, you don't want to deal with Django's quick shot. It's very punishing box against your opponent, right? If you know all your triggers, if you're managing your force well. And then on top of that, you've got force for funding abound if you're playing right as well, but also very tough to pull off as it should be.
1: Yeah. Remembering those triggers is super important. I mean, I forget to use not so fast all the time. Yeah.
0: The identities are just super cool, right? Like the brave but foolish. You framed it well, Mon, on the Django bit where it's like they're inverses of each other, right? When allies are wounded, Dooku refreshes your force. When Django wounds, enemies of primary or secondary, you refresh force, right? So it's like a lot of ways to get force back on your opponent's turn and on your turn, right? When you go with Django and stuff. So I just find it a very compelling box. And I think these models are all going to be around for a while. And they'll sleep on the Magna Guards at the end of the day. They're just a great tool. If someone's not playing Obi-Wan, of course, that's the one exception, but they're a great tool just to remove hunkers, get in people's faces, strip those hunkers off, And then maybe just push them away and win the point, you know? It's not hard for them to push several times. So, on top of all the bodyguard things they can do for your army. So, I think it's an amazing box. I don't think any of this is going to go away for a long time in the game, if go away at all. I think we'll always have Separatist themes, and of course we'll always have Dooku just show up because he's good.
1: Dooku's really good, and keep in mind with the Magna Guards as well, is you can play them with non-Separatist primary units as well. You'll just miss out on protection protocols, which arguably may not matter to you, but they can still protect maybe a more fragile primary, like Maul for example, where maybe Maul's taking a yep. little bit of damage because you're teetering that knife's edge between damage and damage output and then the Magna Guard sit there and defend Maul and Maul's kind of impervious to being taking damage which means he can throw a lot of dice at you, do some cool things like that. You can also help with Anakin as well because all Interseed says is that allied primary secondary
0: characters. Yeah, it's just the theme is cool. Like they're programmed to bodyguard whoever you brought them with, right? Or whatever, essentially. I also think they're amazing with Grievous for all the reasons. And the theme is absolutely right because Grievous doesn't go anywhere without his Magna Guards. And uh, Grievous is a very rewarding character we get to later that's kind of razor's edge sometime. And they help him out in that play pattern. Like they help smooth out some of the edges of you know him really wanting to maximize everything he's wanting to do and be the aggressor he is, but not super tanky as he shouldn't be, you know? So th- it's very interesting. I think you just get more out if you go all separatists. And I could see someone like very soon when Grievous comes out in the future, like running Grievous, Dooku, Magna Guards, other droids, and just have a thematic list that actually works quite well. Yeah, I completely think so. Well, I'm on another episode in the bag. You know, we're out of wave one now. It's crazy to say. If you don't count Padawan Ahsoka, we've made it. Right. Because she's officially released as a promo but not released in a box yet yeah yeah there's a lot there
1: yeah we don't know man and not everyone got her so we won't count her as wave one yeah
0: absolutely not yeah but of course that's the end of the show hello there supported by our wonderful patrons you can be a hello there patron by going to patreon.com slash hello their cast of course you get immediate access to the discord and when you sync up your patreon with your discord profile check out stuff like our community on discord and of course things are coming up in the very soon future.
1: Exactly. And you can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch at hello there Cast. You can also email us at HelloThereCast at gmail.com and leave us reviews on Spotify and or Apple Podcasts when you can. We've seen the numbers, we've seen the reviews, and we really want to thank y'all for coming out in droves. And the more of you that can help support and provide those ratings, the better because then more people can get on the podcast. And keep in mind, we do have that CoreBox giveaway that is available. And also a quick shout out to Lofiel for our podcast
0: music. Of course, you can find Amon and I several places online. You can find me, Jesse, pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, Longshanks, and Discord all at the same place at Jesse Aiken. That's J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. And check out my Marvel Crisis Protocol show about everything Marvel Crisis Protocol and the Marvel Universe Fury's Finest. Amon, where can everyone find you? You can follow me on Twitter at
1: AmonTheWarGamer. Essentially, I'm pretty much the only Amon in the hobby, so A-M-A-N. You'll find me on Discord, Twitter, Facebook, etc. And I also am the primary host on Path to Glory, a Warhammer Underworlds podcast that talks about competitive
0: gaming, player development, and community growth. Perfect. Until next time, may the Force be with you. Uncivilized.